Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, John, we have a great show lined up for today, as usual. You know, I mean, the markets have really picked up here recently. They have. It's, and, uh, it's brightened up a little bit. It's been a great start to the year, so hopefully that has everybody in a good mood here. I mean, I think I think uh, uh, Groundhog Day didn't he see his shadow, and so, like, there's going to be an early spring? Yeah, I think so. I like it. So, yeah, you I know, think we're in the beginning of that. You know what's interesting is the, the amount of media coverage in December versus January on the markets. It's there's no comparison. That's true. Don't hear anybody talking about the positive markets now. That's true. Yeah, they tend to ignore good information. You know, it's a little so, frustrating, but you know. So, but we're going to focus on that because hey, yes. we're excited. We're off to a good start here this year, and we have a great show lined up today. I mean, we're going to talk about. Um, first of all, we're going to talk about some last minute tax moves. It is tax season, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But there are some things you can do in the last minute, and plus, you want to make sure you avoid some of the critical mistakes that people make. With their taxes. So we're going to jump right into that here shortly. Yeah, and we're going to look at uh, an article from uh, Chris Hogan talking about millionaires in the U.S. The uh, Ramsey organization just went through a a pretty massive study on uh, the everyday millionaire and um, pretty interesting statistics coming out of that. And it is attainable. It does take time. It's not, uh, you know, instant overnight, but uh, there are ways that you can get to that that status. Not that that is, you know, um, important. I mean, you need to have money to pay bills and so forth, but um, there are ways that you can save for the long term, and uh, we'll kind of dive into that. Absolutely. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 24 years experience providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis, also a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 25 years. We're excited to have you listening today on our weekly show. Um, our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. That's where the podcasts uh, are located. Uh, a lot of information there. We also have videos and calculators and so forth, so go check that out. I uh, also have a Facebook page, uh, MoneyMD. We put a, a video out there once a week, and um, our Twitter handle is MoneyMD. Yep, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us directly at info at moneymd.net. Well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this is looking at the uh, stock market. Since 1950, there have been 60 different 10-year periods. So if you look at you know 10-year increments, there's been yep. 60 different periods. And this is why we tell people to diversify. Um, about 25% of the time, we know that markets are down, right? Right. So sometimes you know, you're going to be down during those 10-year periods. Um, but, uh, you know, th- during the years, but 25% of the time, the, the S and P 500 has made less than 7%. That's right. And so mm. it's not that robust 10% that we've seen during the same time frame. And there are, have also been periods 32% of the time that, um, the averages have been, you know, at least 14%, but there are times we saw it, the lost decade from 2000 to 2009, where the S and P basically made zero for 10 years. That's right. In fact, if you go back right now and look at the last 20 years for the S&P, it's less than 6% per year. So, um, you know, it's been a very weak 20-year period for the S&P 500 and just shows you you got to diversify. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look at the average, though, the average 10-year period for the S&P is about 10%, um, but 25% of those are less than 7%, all the way down to minus 1% and during the last decade. So, 
you know, the point here is you have to diversify. You have to realize that you can't have a 10-year period where you make zero. Um, but if you diversify and spread your money out in a lot of different asset classes, the chances of that happening are very, very slim. That's right. That's right. Yeah, a 10-year period with no return pretty much crashes most retirement plans. It does. It does. So you can't afford to let that happen. Got to stay diversified. But great financial fact of the week. And that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is last-minute tax moves. Um, John, yeah, unfortunately, tax season is here. And, you know, now we have the stress and confusion of completing your taxes. That begins... But, you know, there are some common mistakes that people make that can be easily avoided. And then there are also some important moves that you can still make to lower your tax bill for some people. Unfortunately, though, most people, they procrastinate to the last minute, you know, and that adds to the likelihood that they're going to make some mistakes, they're going to miss some opportunities. So you don't want that to happen. So that's why we're going to talk about this. But CPAs say, you know, these are the same people that put it off to the last minute. They end up forgetting to focus on the important issues such as, you know, their estimated taxes, their deductibles, their cost basis on their investments, anything that was sold. Um, So those people end up, they end up overpaying sometimes. They end up incurring penalties and audits. Um, So the first step kind of to avoid all that is to get a good start in early March um, and that's the one step, you know, to avoiding these costly mistakes and, and making sure that you get any deductions that you might be entitled to. Yeah. So let's talk about some good news about the taxes this year. It should be easier, um, based on the new tax laws, the standard deduction was raised to 12,000 for a single person and 24,000 if you file, um, married, um, jointly. So that means that unless you have deductions like state and local income taxes, mortgage interest, charitable contributions that exceed that threshold, then you don't have to worry about itemizing this year. And that should make your filing, you know, your taxes much easier if typically you've itemized in the past. So that 24000 for a married couple, it's a big number. It is a big number. And so a lot of people aren't going to get over that threshold. Um, and that should make filing a lot easier, like you said. Um, so a lot of people that have been going to, you know, accountants can maybe do it themselves. Um, having said that, there are a lot of possible pitfalls that Mm -hmm. we'll go through here, you know, if you're doing it yourself. So you want to make sure that you kind of know what you're doing and you're using some good software. But yeah, unfortunately, people do make a lot of common errors when they're filing their tax return. And the best way to avoid those errors, um, which result in penalties or delays or even trigger an audit, is to have some good record keeping uh, in place and to be organized. I mean, even the smallest errors or omissions can have costly consequences. So you want to organize, you know, your bills, your your vouchers, your receipts um, that are related to your taxes so that you can easily find them when it comes time to do your returns. Any itemized deductions that you might want to consider. Um, you want to you want to have in any receipts for contributions to your IRAs, your W-2s, your 1099s, all of those in a in a good file filing system so that you can easily have them, um, you have them all accumulated. You're not looking for your 1099s at the last minute, okay? You have it all together and ready to file your taxes. And also, you know, be familiar with, you know, as familiar as possible with the IRS rules and regulations um, so you know that the records you have to keep and for how long you have to keep them. But first, let's talk about the things that you still can do to maybe lower your taxes this year, are down the road. There's still a few things that you might be able to do. 
Um, the first one, of course, is to make sure you've contributed everything you can to your retirement plans. You know, that's an obvious one, but very few people actually max out their IRA or their Roth IRA each year and get that full deduction. So for 2018, you can still contribute a total of $5,500 to your IRA or your Roth by April the, the 17th, actually. Or if you're over 50, then it's $6,500 you can contribute to your Roth or IRA. So make sure you've gotten that full contribution to your Roth or IRA if you're able to. And then by the same token, if, you're, if you have a business, um, you may have a simple IRA plan. And if so, you can usually make contributions to it all the way up to the time you file your taxes, as long as you account for it properly in your business. Um, that's a $12,500 contribution you can get into your simple plan or 15500 if you're over age 50. Also, some small businesses have SEP IRAs, and they can contribute to that up to tax filing time. So you want to make sure you're making all your retirement plan contributions. Yeah, and then also if you have you know kids in college, you can take full advantage of the 529 plan contributions um, you know, a lot of states give you um, some type of de- tax deduction for making that contribution, and it's uh, totally tax-free on the back end of it if it's used for education. South Carolina has no income limit um, on that deduction, and it's up to uh, the uh, full $50,000 per year that you can contribute. So that'll lower your taxes from a state standpoint. You can put that in up all the way up until tax day. Yeah, so that's a, that's a big one. You want to make sure you take advantage of that. Um, but that's about it for the remaining remaining deductions, you know, uh, if you haven't already done those things. So now let's talk about some of the avoiding some of the common filing mistakes that people make, because it's amazing how many common errors we see and that people make. Um, and they result in penalties, time consuming audits or just answering the IRS. You know, you get that IRS notice about May of the following year. If you if you make a obvious error in filing your taxes and then you have to respond to it and it creates a lot of anxiety. So you want to avoid those things. Um, So the number one item here is not including information from your 1099B from the sale of stocks or mutual funds. Um, Unfortunately, we see this all the time and it's partly because people file themselves and they file too early. Um, what they don't realize is financial companies don't send out the 1099Bs or the consolidated 1099 statements until about the middle of February. And sometimes you don't get it, so you have to log on to get it. Um, and now that the cost basis tax laws changed a number of years ago, um, they don't you don't get those statements until around the middle of February. Yet people with investments, they still often want to file in early February. So the bottom line is, um, you probably can't file until March if you have taxable investment accounts like an individual or a joint brokerage account. So, But then there are also a lot of people who try to do their own taxes, but they simply overlook you know, their Schedule D. Any capital gains, they have to report on Schedule D, and that comes off of your 1099-B or your 1099 consolidated statement. They'll overlook that altogether. Um, you know, and that's that results in that nasty shock around May of the following year, as I mentioned, when you get a letter from the IRS claiming you owe taxes on all of it, you know, with the assumption that you had no cost basis at all in any funds or any stocks that were sold during the year. So make sure you, you kind of know what you're doing when you file your taxes yourself. You don't skip Schedule D. 
and you you know make sure you have all your 1099s. Yeah, another item here on the list, Steve, is um, just simple calculation mistakes. Uh, it's it's amazing, but about twenty percent of taxpayers still file their returns by paper, while most of these could could file an, an electronic return for free. And so, if your income is under sixty six thousand then you can e-file for free. TurboTax and most other software also allows you to file for free if you don't have any investments or a business or, or you don't uh, itemize. So, you know, most retirees fall into this category. So be sure, you know, you can't file for free before you discount that option. And if you do file by paper, then you, know, you got to check it and recheck it to make sure your numbers add up. I mean, there's a lot of times just simple math errors. And remember, the IRS, is they're going to automatically check your details against your W-2 and your 1099s and similar statements that are filed by the employers. And they'll look for discrepancies that are found and uh, that'll delay refunds and cause other problems. And you'll get that, that nasty email or nasty letter. From, yeah, definitely. So you got to be a hard sure. copy letter. <laughs> yes. So you don't want to make the common, uh, you know, calculation mistakes using software will fix that in most cases. You know, the next one here, though, um, John, is using the 1040 EZ form. Um, a lot of that's the short form for your taxes, very short forms, like a one page form. A lot of people that file themselves try to use that. And what they don't realize is it's an expensive mistake for for most taxpayers, because even with a very simple return, you, you may want to choose the full form so that you can maximize the, the tax savings, refunds, and deductions. Um, and that's because the longer form allows deductions for things like HS, HSA contributions, IRA contributions, student loan interest, alimony, charitable donations, other common expenses that you can itemize. Um, but you can't do that on the easy form. And you, you often can't do that on the free tax filing sites, too. You know, like TurboTax has a free version mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that you can use online. You got to make sure that you qualify for that and that you don't have any of the things that, uh, that that you would be skipping if you try to use that version. So don't use the 1040 EZ form if you have, you know, any any kind of complicating things that you can deduct <clears throat> that would be missed there. That's a common mistake. Another one is neglecting to keep track of the tax info, um, such as charitable contributions, cost basis, medical expenses, interest paid, um, and I would say cost base is a big one for that. You know, we've already mentioned because without that, you know, you can't properly file um, your your capital gains uh, on things that were sold. And so, you know, and, and oftentimes the custodian doesn't have that information if, if the funds have moved from one custodian to the next. So you have to keep track of that. You have to recognize if there's zero cost basis on any items that were sold the same token, if you do itemize and you can, because you have over over twelve thousand or twenty four thousand of, of of itemized contrib- uh, deductions, then you you got to have all your charitable contributions. You got to have your you know a record of state income taxes and property taxes, medical expenses, interest paid, mortgage interest, those kinds of things. And people simply don't have enough details when they do their taxes a lot of times. So maintaining proper detailed records of all your contributions, investment, capital gains, tax payments, um, you know, those are going to be very, very important to avoiding that mistake. Next one here on the list is using the wrong tables or worksheets. Believe it or not, you know, if you're doing this manually and you're not using software, which a lot of people still do it manually, 
they're using the wrong table to to make their calculations and that's a recipe for disaster because you know as you're filing under the wrong status or or something like that um these errors can mean double tax payments on investments as well as other overpayments so only use the worksheet in the back of the workbook attaining the present year's tax forms better yet use tax software that calculates all of that for you that's really what you want to do. You know, you don't want to be looking up the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one here is missing the the deadline. Um, and actually, the the deadline for most states is April fifteenth. Um, there are two states, Maine and Massachusetts, that have until the seventeenth. I don't know why. Maybe it's still snowing up there. Or yeah. Something. Well, the federal deadline <clears throat> is seventeenth this year. Is it? Yeah, it is. Okay. It is seventeenth. It's a it's a Tuesday. All right. So yeah, I guess Sunday wouldn't be a good thing, huh? No, right. You can't you can't they can't stop on Sunday. They yeah. gotta give you a chance. <laughs> and you can't get an extension, but some people that miss the deadline don't even get an extension. So um if you absolutely must delay filing in April, you still have to submit form uh forty eight sixty eight by the uh the deadline April seventeenth in order to obtain the extension. Otherwise you're gonna get penalties. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So you want to make sure you make the deadline. Electronic filing is an ideal way to avoid a lot of these mistakes. You know, the software programs, they ask all the right questions and they include all the necessary forms and they include the calculators that prevent errors. Um, And a lot of times you can do that free. You know, if you have over $6,600, under $6,600, I think it is, um, $66,000 of income, then you can file for free on TurboTax. Um, you know, if you qualify, you know, if you don't have a complicated return. So make sure you check on that um, and use software either way. E-filing, you know, is it processed a lot more quickly? A refund check can be mailed in as little as 14 days or deposited in your account. Filing on time and correctly and being prepared well in advance of the filing date, those are the best ways to avoid these last-minute mistakes um, as well as the costly consequences of errors. So for most people, you should simply use a paid tax preparer, you know, who's an expert at catching these details. Um, You know, paying for tax service not only saves you the headaches, but it avoids mistakes. And it may save you money in penalties and and not cost as much as you think um, that you would pay for software and e-filing, which keeps going up every year. So anyway, just make sure you avoid those mistakes. Make sure you take advantage of any last minute you know, deductions that you can get with uh, IRA, Roth contributions, those kinds of things. Um, But that brings us up here to our question of the week. This question has to do with a job change and uh, needing some cash. And the question is, should I stop investing for a while to build up some cash? They have none now. So, yeah, I mean, you got to have some cash to make things flow. So, uh, you know, um, you you need any source of cash that you have. If you don't have... um, I guess you have an income if you have a job change, but yeah, you need to stop investing and, and build some cash up to make everything flow. Otherwise, you're going to go into debt or you're going to pull money out of your 401k. So yeah, there's times that you need to pause, um, you know, investing to kind of regroup and, and figure out what the next step is. And this may be one of those cases. Yeah, I would say any major life change, you want to kind of regroup, make sure you don't strip yourself of liquidity um and make sure that you you have money to carry over a lot of people they want to immediately go out and pay off their mortgage you know i see that a lot you know they'll get a maybe you will go through a divorce maybe there's a death in the family of a spouse or maybe you lose your job and people want to immediately go pay off their mortgage and you know i mean i tell people take a deep breath don't rush out and make decisions like that get some good advice 
Um, you got to maintain your liquidity. You got to make sure you have enough money to carry you forward. Um, you have plenty that you don't have to go to the credit cards. You can't go out and get a mortgage, you know, another mortgage if you if you don't have a job or if you're retired or, you know, whatever your situation might be. So so just be careful. Make sure you're getting some good advice and you don't strip yourself of your cash and liquidity. So great question of the week. And that leads us up here to our next topic. And that is how many millionaires are you one of those millionaires in the U.S.? Well, you can be. That's, that, that's the point. Yeah, Chris Hogan uh, really has done a great job in this area. Wrote a book recently. Um, did a did a lot of uh, a lot of research into this topic as well. And that's a question he gets a lot: is can I can I become a millionaire in this um, economy? And and um, how long does it take? And so forth. And uh, if you know Chris, if you listen to him, he likes busting that myth that millionaire status is out of reach for most Americans. And it's not impossible to become a millionaire in today's economy. Now, it does take time, and we'll go through some of those stats um, here in a couple minutes. But we've got some resources available to to kind of form a game plan to get you to that millionaire status. And uh, we're going to show you how to do that. But first of all, we'll kind of dive into the stats. How many millionaires, Steve, are there in the U.S.? Great question, John. Well, <laughs> you know, Drum roll. there are a lot of millionaires in the U.S. The answer is there are about 11 million millionaire households, according to the Spectrum Group, uh, Market Insights Report 2017. And that number is growing. And, you know, here's the thing. Millionaires, they don't look the way you probably think they do. Um, might surprise you to find that there are everyday millionaires all around you. Um, heck, you know, I mean, think about 11 million millionaires. That's probably like, I don't know, 8% of households or something. I mean, that's a lot of households that, it are, is. that are millionaires. I don't know how many households there are in the U.S., but what, there's maybe 400 million people in the U.S., right. something like that. So uh, 11 million is, you know, and that's not households. There's probably only 150 million households in the U.S. So it's a pretty big number. Um, it is. It's bigger than you would think. Right. So, heck, you're probably passing them in the grocery store every time you go. Um you know, you have neighbors that are millionaires. <clears throat> um, so the question is, can you join them? You can. Yeah, you can. You can. And uh, they, uh, you know, Chris is um, their team did a, a, a research project on how do you become a millionaire. So he wrote a book, Everyday Millionaires: How Ordinary People Built Wealth, um, and uh, how you can do it as well. And and so let's define what a millionaire is. If you if you can't tell, this topic is is really important to the Ramsey folks. They they spend a lot of time on it, just you know, encouraging and giving people hope. Um so let's define what that looks like. A millionaire is someone who has a net worth of a million dollars. And net worth is what you own minus what you owe. So for example, suppose you have no debts besides a mortgage and you have a sizable emergency fund and a retirement account. So basically what you have to do is subtract what's left of the mortgage from everything else that you own and that's your net worth. And uh, the majority of a person's net worth is usually invested maybe in a retirement account or even real estate. Yeah, that's right. And the uh, Spectrum Group that did this study, you know, they they don't count the primary home as part of the assets of those 11 million uh, millionaire households. So, you know, it only makes sense, though, that the, the Ramsey Group, they do count your home as part of that sure. net worth. I think that makes um, sense. Sure, as far as your net worth is concerned, asset. absolutely it is. It's not an income-producing asset, but it's an asset. So, um, yeah, it counts. So, you know, when you look at it that way, there are way more than 11 million millionaires living in the U.S. 
And you're a lot wealthier than you probably think you are if you have, you know, a good portion of your house paid off. Yeah, there is a net worth calculator um, out there on on, yeah. uh, on his website, Chris Hogan's website. So the uh, question is, how long does it take, Steve? I mean, you know, how fast do people become millionaires? And, you know, most people didn't just magically wake up one day and hit a net worth of a million dollars. I mean, they were focused. They were intentional. It, it takes decades of working, saving, investing to become a millionaire. In fact... Only about 5% of millionaires that were surveyed um, for the, the new book got there in 10 years or less. And, and in fact, it took an average of 28 years, uh, almost three decades, to hit the millionaire mark. And, you know, age 49 was kind of the, the targeted age. But think about that, three decades. That's after they start working, yeah. Sure, so it takes a while to get there. It takes so, a long time, But sure. if you do it consistently <laughs> over time... You know, that's a lot of people. But it's very doable. Everybody lives three decades, you know, most of us do. (laughs) So you just have to get on the path and you have to start saving and get it going in the right direction and and start building some momentum. And it certainly can happen, but you you have to have your net worth going in the right direction. So uh, that's exactly right. So we look at the states. Which states do you think are the highest ones? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. You know, you probably the states with the highest cost of living, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it shouldn't surprise you that California and New York are the top two states populated with millionaires, but you don't have to live anywhere close to those places. Um, to So, you know, you can check and see what your state looks like. <clears throat> but California, New York, Florida, Texas, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Arizona, New Jersey, Ohio, and Massachusetts – are the top 10 states yeah. for millionaires. Now, I did a little bit of research, and these are some dated statistics, but California, this is a couple of years back, had 663,000 millionaires. Okay. New York was 368,000 millionaires. Georgia was 142,000 millionaires, and South Carolina was 68,000 millionaires. Wow. So smaller wow. state, smaller population, lower cost of living. Yeah, exactly. Lower cost of living usually means lower wages too. So that's right. That's right. Know, so it all counts. Yeah. So if you didn't, if your state didn't make the top ten, it's okay. There's still people in South Carolina and Georgia and, and around the area that that save and invest over time, and and the average is 28 years. And um, you know, there's a lot of different cities that they go through that has the most millionaires. New York is the highest percentage. Los Angeles is second, and so forth. Uh, I didn't see the uh, CSRA showing up on this, but no, you know, there no are folks that have done well in this this area as Absol- well that have been saving. I mean, we see them; we come, they come through our doors, right? They've been saving Absolutely. for three or four decades. And oh they- yeah, just ordinary people too, just putting money in their four hundred one k plan. You know, you get two workers and they're you know two people in the household employed, and they're putting money in their four hundred one k plan. Then definitely, they uh, you can reach that you know pretty quickly ahead of schedule um, for this averages here. We see that all the time. But yeah, if you're still not convinced that it's possible to achieve the millionaire status based on where you live, um, then you know, I mean, you gotta you gotta re. Basically, here's what they found when they researched it: um, more than fifty percent of millionaires they live in a neighborhood where the average income is below seventy five thousand dollars a year. Hmm. So very average, you know, household. So more than fifty percent are in those neighborhoods. Nearly a third of the millionaires live in a zip code where the home values are below the national average of 205000 or less. So, yeah, it's a very common thing. And six out of 10 millionaires live in a household, you know, that's value, a house that's valued under a half million dollars. So the majority of them are not in some really affluent area or have some affluent 
income is the yeah, point. And a lot of times what you see, and I, I know that we're, we had the, you know, the opportunity to work with folks and we help them on their, their total net worth. And, and a lot of folks that are, that are living in nice houses and driving nice cars does not mean that they're millionaires. Means right. that they're spending all their money. That's right. They're spending a lot. So you can't look at other folks and judge how they're doing. Just you know, be concerned with what you're doing. Try to get an emergency fund, like Dave talks about. You know, save for retirement. Um, get out of debt, and um, you know, over time. I mean, this pro- these processes do work. They have worked historically, and I think we're we're certainly confident that they'll work going forward. So um, he's got a good book. Uh, I haven't read it yet. We just got a copy of it. It's called Everyday Millionaires: How Ordinary People build extraordinary wealth and how you can too. So go check it out. Absolutely. But the millionaire goal is definitely attainable for everyone out there listening. You just have to get on the right track. So, uh, and start early too. start that early. Helps. Start early does definitely help. Otherwise you may be late in life yeah. before you hit that status. So get on the right track. Great topic. All right. That leads us to our last thing. And that is the prescription of the week. Yes, Steve, I don't know if you remember, but December was a little challenging this yep. last December, yep. right? Yep. Um, the S&P, um, seventh worst, worst month since uh, in 30 years. So it was down about 9% in one mo- month. And so you really got to understand what your risk tolerance is. Um, you've got to look at a really bad month or even go back to 2008 when the markets were off 40%. And if you can't tolerate a down year or a down month like that, you need to be more conservative because we just don't know when they're going to happen. They will happen in the future, but you've got to be properly diversified and have a plan so you can weather the dips because the dips will always be there, but we've also seen them recover. That's right. Yeah, you have to be comfortable, you know, in the worst type markets and know that you're going to, you know, stick through it and you're not going to lose sleep at night. Um, So understand your risk tolerance level. That's a great prescription of the week. I mean, just know what a what a bad month looks like. And uh, we certainly saw one in December and in October as well. Mm -hmm. So we had a really bad quarter in the fourth quarter last year in the stock market. So that's a good gauge. Go back, look at that. Now that we know it's, it's behind us or certainly, you know, it looks like it's behind us. Um, Good time to reflect and make sure that you're comfortable, you know, going through that in the future and knowing that you're going to be around for the good months like January that just happened and, and the good years that, you know, typically follow those type periods. So good prescription of the week. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Email us your questions at info at moneymd.net. Or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 